Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and Bulldog fans everywhere. I'm super excited to welcome you back to this latest installment of the Start Vegas Report. But first, just to let y'all know, I'm your co-host, Colton Watson. I'm your other co-host, Devin Longazino. And like we said, we're both pumped. We have a lot of things to go over. This is going to be kind of a speed through a whole bunch of different topics. We can't go in-depth about too many things because it's just so much. But first and foremost, guys, it's game week. We are playing football this Saturday. Some thought it wouldn't come. Uh, some probably were hoping it wouldn't come. Is or at least the way they tweeted it sounded like that, which is just awful to me. Uh, people that should have a vested interest in college football acted like they didn't want it to happen. It was just confusing to me. Uh, but it's here. Uh, we've already had some hiccups with college football, and it's still trucking along. We knew that there's going to be a few mistakes. You know, we knew that there's going to be some games that have to get shuffled around. That's why we went to these conference-only schedules. It's easier to shuffle games. I just am so appreciative of, the, of Greg Sankey and the SEC making us uh, a schedule. It, you know, whether or not you like it or not, uh, whether or not you're appreciative of who of who your team is playing, we are going to play. Um, they they did what's necessary. They put in the protocols in place, and everything seems to be going well. Uh, seems like all the teams that are having trouble. I know Ole Miss is having trouble. I think Auburn, maybe Tennessee and LSU for sure. Uh, and the, I think what that stems from is a lot of non-compliance. Um, not just because the SEC rules and the uh, school rules weren't necessarily working, but because it just seemed like a lot of those guys weren't uh, playing around uh, or, or were playing around too much with the, the protocols. But we're going to move on, jump straight into what we're going to talk about today. Got a brief recruiting update uh, for football because this happened over the weekend. MJ Daniels, I think the number six overall prospect in the state of Mississippi, a four-star uh, defensive back, former Ole Miss commitment, made his uh, commitment to Mississippi State on Friday? Saturday. Saturday. It was Saturday. I woke up Saturday morning because I woke up kind of late. I you know, too. I woke up at like 9.30. See, that's not that late. I woke up at like 10.30, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I missed it. Cause I'm, like, I was 30 minutes late, so you were. I know. I mean, I felt bad, so I, I had to make, you know, whenever I miss some breaking news, I have to make sure my analysis is top-notch on that because then it, I, oh, I was just getting my thoughts together. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but uh, MJ Daniels, somebody that, you know, obviously all, all of us state fans should be really excited about. Uh, we're dominating in-state recruiting right now, MJ's. One of those guys where before the season started, before this recruiting class started, it was kind of like, we've got to go get him. He's a really talented guy. And a thin uh, year in state, especially yeah. on the defensive side of the ball. This is one of the few pearls amongst the debris there. Uh, there's there's a lot of group of five players in this senior class yeah. for de- on defense, guys. This is, this is something to be really excited about. Like I said, uh, I've seen comps. The comps that I've seen so far, Jamal Peters, that's my favorite comp that I've seen. He's just a long, athletic, fast guy. And I, he's going to be playing safety more than likely. I think Jamal would have been better at safety. So I He think, was supposed to play safety. So I think this is going to be very interesting. Uh, one other guy that I want to bring up in the recruiting trail, Kadarius Callaway. We had him committed. He was a three-star when he was committed to us. He ended up flipping to Bama. And uh, 24-7 and Rivals just redid their rankings within the past week, and he jumped up a ton of points. He's a mid-four-star right now. And, uh, at we, what position? He'll be a DB also, probably safety. And uh, somebody Steve we're Robertson, still hard on. Yeah, Steve Robertson and Paul Jones have put in crystal balls for him to flip back to state. 
Paul Jones crystal ball was a level ten confidence, and Steve's is a level eight. So and, and Paul Jones is like thirty three for thirty five, I think yeah. something so, ridiculous like that. Yeah. He's usually right. So be on so be on the lookout for that. That's probably coming soon. I would if Paul Jones is putting in a level ten confidence for him to flip back to state. It's got to be happening. So. And and it's a thin year in recruiting recruiting guys, but just even so, you gotta just you gotta love it. one of those things you just hate to see, right, Gavin? Ole Miss has won in state recruit committed right now and it's a player that doesn't have an offer from Mississippi State. That's crazy. That's that's scary. Like I mean, I've got Ole Miss friends that act like everything's fine and dandy over there and it, and I don't know why they're kidding themselves. Yeah. They need to they they're going to the hit the, be very the crash down to back to earth is going to be a lot less less uh painful for them if they'll just admit it now. Um brief NFL update cuz we had a lot to be excited about. Braxton Hoyet for Rod Green and Jordan Thomas for the Chiefs, Colts, and Cardinals, respectively, were all caught up from uh, their respective practice squads onto the active roster. Uh, lots of injuries going on in the NFL right now with a lack of – or really not really a real training camp and a lack of preseason. All three of those guys, uh, really, really impressive stories. You got Braxton Hoyette, who is barely a three-star. No other Power Fives are really looking at him too hard. You got Farad Green. He had one other Power Five offer. We got him in the class because we thought he'd help us get Leo Lewis. And from a locker room st- standpoint, especially, Farad was a probably more valuable than Leo Lewis. Yeah. He's on the NFL roster right now. He worked his butt off. He was a, a, a leader, a team captain. I was looking the other day. Farad came into MSU. He was he was ranked the second lowest player in this class out of the guys. That That's insane. And look at him now. From not very far from where I grew up in Western Mississippi. Wanted to play wide receiver, was too slow, but a little bit too small for tight end. He put on some weight. He had to. He did what he was asked to do, did exactly what the coaches told him, and it worked out for him. And we didn't always use him the way we should have used him. He could have caught more. He had one touchdown in Mississippi State. He I should think, have been more used, more utilized more readily. I think he would have been better utilized in Leach's system, but that's just me. Oh, every pass catcher is better utilized in that system. We will, I mean, you really can't go in and speak hypothetically about that for too long. Jordan Thomas is another guy. Of course, he had a lot of good reps with the uh, Texans in the previous two years. Jordan Thomas, a guy we asked, a tight end that we had to convert to a wide receiver during a 2016 uh, or 2017, excuse me, season where we were really, really thin at wide receiver. We asked him to make a position change. He has to flip back to a tight end in the NFL. And guys, I mean, we talked about pass catchers in this offense don't 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 work out in the NFL. I mean, not not that they don't that they don't work out once they get there, but they just don't get there. He managed to get there, and that's just super impressive, not only for Mississippi State, but for him. I'm super proud of him. Um, if you watch the Packers, uh, you saw Elton Jenkins at center absolutely blowing people up. You saw you saw linebackers try to sidestep him and avoid him rather than take him on head-on and make tackles. And if you know football, that just doesn't work. Yeah. It was hilarious. Uh, we also got some a guy on the Ravens. who You know, they're a great team. Yeah, uh, Tyree Phillips. He, he was able to play this past weekend. He's somebody that – he worked hard at State. He came in and did the right things, and it turned out for him. He's from last chance to you. Uh, Tyree Phillips had one year of high school football, yeah. played in junior college, played his way into a starting role, and is now a starter as a rookie in the NFL. You can do it here at Mississippi State. I, I hope there's recruits listen. I doubt it. I don't think we – I think that a lot of the guys listen to is like 25 to 30, 18 to 35. We've got our demographics on on uh, our website uh, that, we, that we're allowed to look at. But if there are some high school players out there, you can do it in Mississippi State. Yeah. Uh, moving on, we're going to talk about Benardrick McKinney from the Texans. He had a good week this past week, 10 tackles. He's a guy coming out of state. 
he was pretty highly uh, touted. He was figured to be a good NFL linebacker. But I don't think anybody really expected him to be as good as he has been for as long as he's been in the league. He's got a massive contract, yeah. and his next one's going to be big, too. Yeah. And second year in the league, he led the NFL in tackles. He's just he's a machine. Him and another guy that Mississippi State fans don't talk enough about is K.J. Wright, another linebacker. K.J. Wright's been, been the only player left on that Legion of Boom from several years ago when they were just dominant. And he's he's always, you know, he's got defensive guys that are headliners that kind of overshadow him, but he's been the most consistent performer year in and year out on that defense. Somebody else had a good weekend from State, Jeffrey Simmons. He, uh, yesterday, Titans played the Jaguars, and on the final drive, Minshew's leading the, uh, the team down the field. Going to either get a game-time field goal or the go-ahead touchdown in the late minutes of the game. And Jeffrey Simmons batted a pass off of uh, somebody's helmet. He got tipped up in there and kicked off, so that was a big that was a big-time play. Probably Jeffrey's biggest moment of his NFL career so far. Domenico Autry for the Colts had a tackle for loss yesterday. Slay and Cox, Darius Slay and Fletcher Cox, both headliners as defenders on the Philadelphia Eagles. I hate to root against them, but I do. Uh, they had five five tackles for Slay, four tackles for, for Fletcher Cox. And you've noticed Slay, Darius Slay led the league in pass deflections uh, the first five years he was in the league. That's not going to happen this year because they don't throw at it. They don't even test him. Uh, they, they test other guys. And that's that's the tr- the true mark of a cornerback is a guy that d- gets thrown at once or twice a game. The, the headliners at cornerback should not should not have that many stats simply because they don't get thrown at. Like Gilmore. Right. Uh, uh, moving on, Willie Gay from the Chiefs. Week one was kind of a shocker for a lot of people, especially state fans. We followed him throughout college. We knew how good he was and how athletic he was. And he didn't see the field week one. Uh, right. He saw the field in special teams, but he had one tackle and deflected a punt. Yeah. Yesterday, yesterday was very impressive. He played a lot yesterday. Got a lot of snaps. I think that the Chiefs are finally going to start using him some more. And of course, we don't even have to talk about Chris Jones on the front end of that defense. He's a monster. Yeah. Chris is somebody that's that uh definitely repping Mississippi State well in the league. And then last. Uh, Last but not least, yeah, definitely not least. We would not be, we would be remiss if we didn't discuss yeah. Dak- Rain Dakota Prescott, yeah. whose jersey I am currently wearing as we speak. Yeah, Dak had an amazing day yesterday. Kind of started slow. Cowboys offense started slow. A lot of turnovers. I think if you four fumbles in the first quarter, three losses. Yeah, three loss. Uh, and then two failed punts. I, I guess fake punts. Two Failed fake punts. that turnover on downs after fake punts. Downs. Yeah, that was a mess. I, I don't know, and I is Jerry Jones maybe telling them to make that you know not make not give Dak the opportunity to go and earn his new contract because if you're gonna go for it on fourth down, why not put it in the hands of the quarterback yeah. that especially on the second one had been balling. I mean balling. You're gonna go for it on fourth and five in your own territory. Give it to the guy that ended up with 468 total yards and four total touchdowns. The only quarterback in history to throw for 300 yards and get three rushing touchdowns, and he did it. He's only the one to do it 300, too, though. Really? And he did that in the second half. He had 300 yards yeah. in the second half and three that. rushing touchdowns in the second half. He was the only quarterback to do it with 400 yards, but he would have been the only to do it with 300 yards, and that was all in the second half. <laughs> he did it in the half when no quarterback's ever done. He's already got more, just as many 400-yard uh, games as Tony Romo. He's 4-1 and one in those games, and Tony Romo was 0-5. I mean, what what more could you ask? Which might speak more for the defense and the offense in that situation, but it's still the defense got thirty nine hung on him yesterday. <laughs> it's still impressive that Dak is at that level already with so many less career games. Teams um, with a twenty point lead were one thousand eighty five and six in NFL history. 
teams with that scoring 39 points and never turning the ball over were 440 and 0 until yesterday. All right, that took a little bit longer than we thought, but we're just so excited about uh, what our guys are in the NFL. You can do it here, guys. You can do it on offense. You can do it on defense. You can do it here. Um, Moving on, we got camp updates. Uh, right before we got ready to film the show, depth charts came out. That's something to be excited about. Uh, had us scrambling. Yeah. Scrambling, because I had a class right before this, and almost, I thought the depth chart would have come out either yesterday or Wednesday or Thursday. I didn't think it was going to come out today. Yeah, which is very interesting. Uh, I think that the guys, a lot of the media guys, they got a hold of it right before Releach's press conference today, which is going on right now. we got some notes on that. Uh, so depth chart, though. Uh, looking at quarterback, KJ and Will. KJ is listed above Will, but next to Will's name it says or Will Rogers, which is very interesting. I don't think that Will is going to start over KJ, but I do think that is kind of the coaches giving Will the nod, saying, you know, we're, we're impressed with what you've done in camp. Keep it up. Uh, and I do think that we're kind of thinking he's a guy for the future. Uh, running back is right. And uh, I'm going to elaborate a little bit. You also, maybe they're just trying to be a little bit, play the cards close to the vest. I don't see that really mattering in this situation when everything's all new anyway. But, for example, Georgia Georgia has refused to name a starter for that exact reason, uh, trying to be a little bit sneaky. Yeah. Um, and, again, just just means that you've kind of got – you don't have a 1 and 2. You've got a 1A and 1B, and there's the, they're A and B for a reason, but, they're, but there's a difference between A and B and 1 and 2 uh, moving forward. But there's some more surprises that we're going to get into. Yeah, so surprises specifically, a lot of people were shocked at uh, – Osiris Mitchell was not starting at the outside spot in wide receivers. If you listen to the show last week, that's something that me and Colton didn't necessarily predict, but we did talk a little bit about how Osiris hasn't been as impressive as people thought he would be in the system. Heath ended up getting the start over him, so our outside starting receivers are Heath and Tyrell Shavers, uh, the transfer from Alabama. And I think that that probably speaks more to Shavers being impressive than it does Osiris being inimpressive. I think Osiris is just a little bit slow and not, and you know, little maybe had a little bit at least early on in the camp had this kind of uh, maybe had it, had assumed that it was his for the taking, and then by the time he realized it wasn't, it might have been too late to catch up. Malik Heath also listed as an or underneath him as a guy we talked about, one of the most experienced returning players on the receiving course, Cameron Gardner. A backup, a really steady backup over the last few years. So they're, they're, of course, when you have this or, it makes you feel like they're supposed to be interchangeable, but you still expect the guy listed first to start. Um, a guy we're going to get to later, our place kicker was listed uh, listed as Brandon Ruiz, the Arizona transfer. We'll get to that later, but uh, Jace Christman is one of the most reliable kickers uh, in, in school history, and so we'll have to talk about that later. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, that's really all of the surprises for the offense outside of maybe some of you might be surprised that Kareem Walker wasn't listed in the running back depth chart, which that kind of surprised me a little bit. I thought he would at least be on there. Well, they have but, four running backs. Yeah, he's very valuable on the practice squad if he's not on the field. And like we talked about last week, he's a great leader. Great locker room guy. Yeah. Looking at the defense, weren't really any surprises up until you got the linebacker. Uh, Tyrus Weed ended up beating out Jordan Davis for the Sam. I wonder if Jordan Davis has COVID. Yeah, that's uh, that one's surprising enough to me that I think that he might have COVID. He might not, but we'll see. He was listed on the depth chart at all, so you would think if he if he wasn't going to participate this weekend that he wouldn't be listed at all. Yeah. Uh, so that so that doesn't really make sense for my COVID theory, but it also doesn't make sense that Tyrus Weed is starting over him. They played together at Colin and uh, at Pine Lake Community College right outside where I, where I grew up. I tell you all that every time because I'm so proud of, of uh, the program down there. I took classes there in high school. I'm going to call myself an alum. And uh, but Jordan Davis, 
the guy that's, you know, maybe, I, and what the, also this could be is Jordan Davis was also going to play with his hand in the ground up front and as a linebacker. In this 3-3-5, three, uh, three, three, you're going to have linebackers sometimes move up and play and make it look more traditional, with a, like as a 4-2-5. But uh, maybe he's going to be that swing guy that's just going to be in all over the place, although we did expect him to be, be the starter. In fact, Steve Robertson said on his show earlier today, oh, yeah, that's the starter. Tyra Sweet's the backup. I mean, th- his show came out at noon. This came out at, like, 2. Yeah, I mean, this, is, this is catching everybody off guard. Yeah. Uh, another surprise, free safety. Uh, Fred Peters and Colin Duncan. Whenever I got here, I was like, hold on, I think Colin Duncan's supposed to be the strong safety starter, but no, he's not. He moved on to strong safety. London Craft, the walk-on junior out of IMG Academy, is getting the start out there, which is shocking. shocking. I, we did not, guys, we missed this big time. Yeah. And I don't know if they've been keeping it close to the vest. I don't know if there's some people that have viruses. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder, Colin Duncan is my guy that I'm wondering if he has COVID. Right. I'm worried if, uh, I'm just worried if this is out of necessity, we might be a little bit in trouble for this game. If this is he earned the spot, I'm I'm over the moon because we knew some of those other guys are really good. Yeah. Of course, you still got Fred Peters and Marcus Murphy in at safety, and I was listening to another show today. Uh, those guys are more than serviceable. You only need the third safety to be serviceable. You need the third if 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 Fred Pe- unless they're lying about Fred Peters and unless Marcus Murphy gets hurt. Uh, and I don't think they're lying about Fred Peters because you've had two coaches staffs in a row that couldn't shut up about him. The next, the third safety needs to be average, right at average or mediocre. Not you don't need a star. You need somebody in there. And with the depth issues that we have there, I think you you can might have the rotation piece uh, moving in and out at that position. But London Craft has seen action in six games before. Uh, like you said, out of IG Academy, originally from New Mexico. Uh, very very odd for me to see that name on there. Yeah. Very strange. And the last thing is, and I'm, Colton's gonna, I'm me myself, I'm gonna take a little bit of a. Before what? Before we get to, are you about to talk about the kickers? I was about to talk about the cornerbacks. Okay, you can go ahead. Yeah, last thing, uh, I'm going to take take the, the W over Gavin. Furge was listed right above Forbes, although Forbes will probably play almost as much, if not just the same. Could also wouldn't be surprised with his length to see Forbes slide to that I mean, safety spot. It doesn't spot. say or, so I would count as a W. It doesn't say or. Yeah, it doesn't. I, I mean, or. it's going to be matchup, but I thought Furge was going to get in there because he's a better tackler. All right. Uh, some more just camp things. Uh, Mike Leach made a point just a few minutes ago to say that an unfamiliar face at a position is not a sign that you're hurting there, rather a sign that a player has really stepped up. And I think that's almost verbatim, but not quite. Uh, I think that's a good thing to consider with this depth chart going forward. Um, they've been practicing with noise in the stadium. I actually heard it the other day. I was like, oh, my gosh, they're yeah, playing the noise. And they're – they're preparing for the fact, you know, that hopefully it's not too loud in Tiger Stadium. We'll see. Artificial noise isn't allowed, but of, uh, at least it it's never has been. I don't think it is this year. We don't think a quarter stadium will be packed, but it might be louder than we think. We don't know how the acoustics are. We don't, we don't have physicists out there tell us what's going on. And also, you never know. They might decide to fill the stadium to the back, back end of the season. I doubt it, but they might. So they've been working with that. Uh, another guy listed on the depth chart, I think, on the second spot. Where's Jaden Wally listed? Yeah, Jaden Wally is uh, listed right behind Austin Williams. On right. The second spot. He caught three touchdowns in the last scrimmage. Yeah. I missed that, but my guy told me, and that's that's awesome. Yeah, that, he's somebody that's going to be a big-time receiver in this offense. Maybe this year, but he's definitely going to be a big-time in the future. And we mentioned him because his little brother is one of the few great defenders in the state of Mississippi in high school, and he's committed to Minnesota, which is a bit of a head-scratcher. A lot of people think he'll change his mind if he actually sees his brother on the field making plays. Uh, we'll see how that turns out. I think he's serious. He, I think, I think 
that what the Wally kid thinks he's serious about Minnesota. He's not just doing that as for fun. Right. Um, we'll see if he changes his mind. Yeah. Moving on to special teams, the biggest sh- surprise here, Brendan Ruiz was a bit of a surprise. I knew that he'd be a starter, but I thought it would be on kickoffs, not place kicks. Instead, it's opposite. Ruiz is starting for place kicks, and uh, Christman is starting for kickoffs. But outside of that, the biggest surprise for me was punt returning because they have Austin Williams listed as punt returner. If I were to guess here, it'd just be because they want a guy with sure hands. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, they they Austin's we're not going to muff punt. If Austin yeah. muffs a punt, then then Mississippi State's cursed. Yeah. Davis Way Stadium is built on an Indian burial ground, and that's just the way it's going to go. Because Austin Williams has maybe the surest hands in the SEC, definitely the surest hands on the team. This is funny. And now, I, for some reason, I thought it was Tuesday. If it's Monday, then this is when I thought the depth chart would come out. But literally, an hour before the depth chart come out, I was making out this episode to talk about special teams. I correctly guessed Peyton and Marks. I had I thought Tule would be the next guy, and I guess he is on punt returning. But Williams starting was was a bit of a surprise to me. Yeah, um, we talked about the kicking situation, guys. And I was I heard this on another show today, and this is kind of what prompted me to write it down. Oh yeah, I think Chris would be the place kicker. I wrote it down, and all of a sudden he's not. I found out just an hour later. I saw some stats from a, a smaller Instagram page known as Hell's Cowbells, uh, run by I think another another younger guy. Um, I'm not going to run through all the stats. I've got them listed, but it's just a bunch. But And, you know, kicking stats aren't just the thing that jumps out at the, off the sheet at you. But Jace Christman's by far the most accurate kicker we've ever, we've ever had. He's already got records. He's, he's technically could play two more years. Uh, I think I think not even counting this year, right? Or is he at one more year counting this year? I think he has. No, I think he has two more years. He has two more years plus the, plus the, the crazy year like this year? Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. No. He 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 replaced the starter my freshman year. Yeah. So he's got one more year plus the Mulligan year. But uh, this this coaching staff doesn't have any loyalty to James Christman. They're new, and even though I thought Christman with his accuracy he doesn't have the hugest leg, he never does kickoffs. So with his accuracy, I thought he'd be the place kicker. You've got Brandon Ruiz, rather uh, the Arizona State transfer, um, winning that job. Now Brandon Ruiz has a leg. He would definitely start next year if Christman decided to go because he'll probably have his degree and would probably would go simply because uh, if he's not kicking the NFL, there's no reason for him to stay, and he doesn't have the leg for the NFL. But Brandon Ruiz can kick a 78-yard field goal. I've seen it. The wind was blowing at his back, but I've seen a video of him kicking one from, from more than 70 yards. That's insane. That's preposterous. Yeah. You know he's going to kick, kick touchbacks, uh, and you knew that he is going to be – we knew he was going to be the kickoff guy. I just didn't think he'd be the place kicker. But Brandon Ruiz must have shown enough accuracy as well as his leg uh, to upset Jace. Right, which is, which is why I don't understand why Jace is listed as the kickoff guy. Jace wasn't. Yeah, he was. What? Hold on. Yeah, Jace is the kickoff guy and Ruiz – That don't even compute. Which is, which is what shocked me more than – No, Brandon Ruiz is kickoff. You're right. All right, I stand corrected. I don't know where he got Gavin's. Gavin's having a stroke over here, guys. Sorry, but um, sorry for that little pause in the action. But uh, Brandon Ruiz has won both jobs. That's crazy to me that he won the kickoff job, but not not unheard of because, like like I said earlier, they don't owe anything to Jace Christman simply because he's been here. Uh, that's what the new coaching staff. That's what you'll you've seen with a couple players already, uh, on this depth chart. For other depth chart updates. Everything that we didn't cover in the show, we predicted correctly. Not yeah. that we, and I think we did pretty all right. Yeah, offensive line, we were perfect. Quarterback, obviously. Receivers, we were we were weren't perfect, but right. we did have a caveat. Yeah. 
we had a surprise in the secondary and a surprise at linebacker. Yeah. And then we hadn't done kicker yet. We are going to finish off. We would have said Christmas. Right. We would have been wrong. Uh, we are going to talk about special teams a little bit. Special teams, except for kicking, uh, and I mean um, field goals, we were awful last year. Absolutely abysmal. Uh, we couldn't cover kicks. We couldn't return kicks. We kept trying to return. We, we, guys, fair catch. Just a word of advice to any players listening. Fair catch a ball inside the five. Just fair catch it. It's not worth it because unless unless you see something that is just wide open, we're not making it back to the 25, and you're going to get somebody hurt, and we need depth. Just fair catch it. Uh, Brennan Weeds is going to be able to kick touchbacks. That's huge, again, for injuries and also for uh, just for not giving them a big play because we couldn't cover kicks last year. We covered kicks extremely well in the Ole Miss game, and that's the only game. I don't know why. Because they were hyped up. I guess. Uh, we also have had everybody play in that game because, you know, we had some of the Tudor Gate guys, even Willie Gay, played on special All teams. On but um, one thing we just got to do is let's just be normal on kick coverage. And let's just be normal on returns. Let's actually make a plan, okay? Let's make let's actually have an idea instead of, oh, just kick it and see what happens or just return and see what happens. And let's kick touchbacks. And when I say be normal, all those things are normal. Those are those are what every team does. Just plan your kick returns. I mean, it's not that it's not that hard. If you if you have an if we just don't mess up kick, the kicking game last year, we'd uh, we would have won at least one more game, and that's um, Kansas State. You could argue we could have won a couple more games, but I, I I don't I don't know if I can see that. We definitely would have been at least uh, seven and five if not for special teams. If we can just be normal, just be normal. Yeah. Uh, so now. We're going to move on to do the season predictions, and then we're going to get to fan questions. But real quick, we're going to let you hear a word from Anchor. All right. Be back with you briefly. All right. Thank you all for being patient. We're back. Uh, obviously, like we said earlier, we're kicking off in Baton Rouge this week against LSU. We're going to try to run through this pretty quickly. We don't want to keep you all pumped up for too long. Colton, what do you see as in LSU? Um, probably going to talk about this game, of course, a lot on Friday, but more than the other games on the list. Uh with LSU, they're going through probably the worst offseason ever. After the best season ever, it's only fair, right, guys? Um, they've had opt outs. They've had, you know, even Coach O is going through a divorce, and I don't need to. I don't. I should, probably shouldn't bring that up. That's personal, but uh, they've got opt outs. They've got um, everybody's got had COVID. They've got uh, let everybody left for the NFL. They've had injuries. It's just been brutal. Um, Coach O still said this is the best defense they've had. Right. Uh, that's that's false. That's absolutely false. How many people got they they lost, they lost seven or eight starters, guys. That's false. And we'll have the full rundown of their starters next show on Friday. But he's trying to just poke. I think he's just trying to get at Dave Dave Aranda, who left for. I mean, how can you be mad at Dave Aranda for leaving for a head head coaching job in a Power Five? I mean, that's hilarious to me. But uh, I guess he's mad because it's kind of late. That whole situation was late developing with the Joe Brady to Carolina and then the. Carolina head coach. He right. Right. I just you leave him for a power five job head coach. Best of luck to him. If if I'm coach, which I'm not. Uh, and some other things with LSU, they're going to be fired up. They're going to be hanging a banner. Um, if this was our second year under Mike Leach, and our second year under Dave Arnett at defense, I just said Dave Arnett. I'm talking about Dave Arnett, Zach Arnett on defense. I would I would call us to win. I would call us to win the game. I think the growing pains of our new scheme on both sides of the ball is going to hurt us a little bit, and that's why I've got uh, LSU winning this game. I'm going to say, I'm thinking this on the fly, 41 
We're going to keep the spread 41 to 28. Okay. So my my prediction that I'm taking for this game, I think that we're able to go in. Uh, they've lost so much this offseason. I just think that we're able to go in and get the best of them. Uh, so I'm going with, I think that we win in Baton Rouge 38 to 28. 38 to 28. Yep. Writing this down. We will, we, y'all will be able to call us out. These score predictions for our weekly uh, pre preview shows for each game are liable to change because, of course, we have the least right. amount of – and we're, we're taking that. We're going to give you all that mulligan because all the players get a mulligan, all the coaches get a mulligan. We get a mulligan too. We have no idea what this team's going to do. New coaches, a lot of new players, new scheme, and we can't – nobody's watching practice. Nobody's going to practice giving us updates. We're not going to practice getting updates. not going to happen. You said what, 38-28? Yeah, 38-28. And like Colton said, each week, whenever we do the game preview, we will give you all a score prediction for that week, which will be more up-to-date. This one's going to stay the same tomorrow. Right. For for this week. LSU is going to stay the same, but as for the rest of the season, it's going to change week to week. We just want to go ahead and give you all an idea of what we think it's going to be. All right. um, And give you all something to make fun of this Coming up next, we've got Arkansas. Uh... Some people think Arkansas is going to win this game at home. This is a, this is at Davis Way Stadium. Some people would be wrong. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Uh, I know they've got a real quarterback, a real-ish quarterback, and a real running back. I don't see what else they've got, especially on defense. Mm-hmm. We're going to have our legs under us after LSU. I think we'll win this game, 45 to 17. Okay. Uh, my prediction: I'm going that we win this game, 56 to 28. So I do think I do think that they're they're gonna be able to score on us because like Colton said they got Felipe Franks they got a legit running back these guys they're not to be taken lightly and I think a lot of people are overlooking Arkansas but I think they're better than what a lot of people are saying so moving on uh, following Arkansas we're going to Lexington Kentucky to take on the Kentucky Wildcats that's an interesting game uh, Colton what do you have guys. Mike Leach usually does – this doesn't happen to him too much, and that's getting upset. He does get come back on sometimes, but rarely just outright upset. And I don't – this game isn't going to be an upset to, to the national media, but it would be an upset to me if we lost. I do think State usually loses a game that State fans count as a – State fans call a win early on. Uh, happened with Kansas State last year. Happened with Kentucky the year before that. I'm, I'm get, giving it to Kentucky again, and I hate it. Guys, I hate it. I, every time we go to Lexington and lose, it get grinds my gears. I think we're going to lose another high-scoring one, 35 to 38. Uh, I was also projecting. I was predicting us to lose this game in Lexington, also, just because I hate watching us go play there. It's always just such a nail biter. This Kentucky, should be an automatic win, right. but it's not, Kentucky and it upsets me. I think I still think Kentucky's overrated, guys. I, I don't think Kentucky will saying, win four games. I'm not saying we are losing, but I'm saying that if I had to. If I had to guess, I think we have a higher chance of getting upset than we do of winning. And again, it's not going to be an upset to Kentucky fans for right. sure or to the media, but it will be an upset to us. Yeah. And it, shoot, if we, we, we beat LSU, it will be an upset. If we beat LSU, I might change my mind. Yeah. Uh, so I think we are going to beat LSU still, but I do think that we might go into Kentucky a little too high on our losses. And I'm projecting 41-38. So a win or a loss? A loss. A loss. All right, moving on to Texas A&M. The second worst offseason of the, of the year is happening at Texas A&M, besides Big Ten school. We were going to talk about the whole Big Ten thing today, but we uh, too much came out. We're not going to be able to get to it. 
Maybe next time. But um, Texas A&M, guys, has lost key players on both sides due to opt-out. I mean, high-profile players. Like their best receivers. The best receivers, their best linebacker, uh, some more guys. They are going to come into Starkville, come into Starkville where they've not been able to win. They didn't win in 2018. They didn't win in 2016. They didn't win in 2014. They haven't been able to do it. They, Johnny Manziel is the last quarterback from Texas A&M to beat us at home. This is a, the upset that I think we get, that we are the benefic- beneficiaries of, and I'm going to say that we beat Texas A&M. And I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm going to say it's going to be kind of handled. I'm got us beating Texas A&M. Another 45 point. I'm going to dumb that down a little bit. 42 to 30. Okay, well, I'm not dumbing it down. I think that uh, Texas A&M comes into Davis Wade and they get beat 45 to 31. 45 to 31. That's, that's our biggest upset. Uh, of the day um, or of the of the season that we are we're coming out on top of, uh, and we're, you'll see as we go on why that's the case. Bama is our next bye game week. after a bye week, so we do get to rest before we get Bama. And that's why I don't think um, my go- upset uh, expectations for Bama guys. Let's just go in there and score more points than we have. 2018, we got shut out questionably, of course, with uh, the officiating in that game. 2016, we scored three points, and 14 was our next best game. I think we had like 22. It was a weird score. Yeah, I think it was 22. Um, I just want to, I want to eclipse that. I want to score, I want to score 24 points in this game. I don't know if we do it, but that's what I'm uh, predicting, what I'm hoping for, and uh, I'm uh, predicting a 24 to 56 loss. Pretty big loss. Uh, So for me, going into Bama, I'm not. I'm definitely not optimistic about this game, but I do think that we're going to be able to break 20, like Colton said. Uh, I'm going to say 27 to 49. So not quite as bad of a loss as Colton's prediction, but I do think we get beat pretty handily. All right. Next, we get Vanderbilt at home, and another goal you're going to have for Bama is to stay healthy. And if we stay healthy at uh, Bama, and even if we don't, um, for the most part, I think this next game is one of our three for sure wins. We're going to beat Vandy by a lot. I'm going to say we're going to beat Vandy. We're going to eclipse the, the half-century mark and beat them 52 to 20. Okay. Uh, I'd think so about it. I'm going with this game. Obviously, I think we beat Vandy, but I'm going to say 45 to 13. You liking the defense in that yeah. one? I'm just like, I like the defense. Man. You know what? I like the defense in that one, too. I'm going to say the last touchdown garbage time. Last question I'm going to be garbage time. Our next game is against Auburn at home. This is the other one where Auburn, another, if we're going to go through overrated teams in the SEC, they're Ole Miss, Kentucky, and Auburn. Um, Auburn's not going to have another, you know, one of those in the 12 game schedule. AM's overrated, I think, now because of the injuries, but I thought, I thought AM had a good chance to come in here and mess some things up. But, uh, Oh, this is a game, another season in the 12-game schedule where Gus Malzahn goes 7-5 and five and still manages to keep his job, and then they never do anything after that. They're going to beat Bama every year, two or three years, uh, going to go to the SEC championship every once every five years and lose, and this is and then they're going to cycle back through the 7-5 and five and 6-6. Six and six. I think that's this kind of year for them in the SEC. Maybe not, maybe 8-4 and four if they have a non-conference schedule, but uh, I got I would have them losing to Bama, Georgia, and one other team this year at the very least uh, in the 10-game season. Uh, right now, though, I do think they're going to come in here and get us simply because I don't know if we've got two upsets in us, and I've already got us picking Texas A&M. This is the game 
this and Kentucky are the two games I predicted us to lose that I think we're more most likely to I'm more most likely to be incorrect. But I've got us losing this one uh, thirty in a close one, thirty one thirty five. Okay, so I'm kind of with Colton on this one. I think that this is our second greatest chance at pulling an upset on somebody. But I was really optimistic going into the Auburn game last year, and I just got my heart crushed. That's probably one of the worst on the planes. Starts. On the planes. Yeah. Um, that's been a ba- that's been a bad experience yeah. for state fans the past two, the past two site trips there. One of the worst. At home, it's been good. They usually yeah. don't win win up here, but down there. Yeah, that's one of the worst starts to a football game I've seen. Uh, possibly not counting the Dallas game yesterday, and that might last year's Auburn game might have been even worse. So I think we get beat here, but like like Colton said, like I said, I think that this is the second greatest chance for us to point up that. But I'm saying we get beat 28 to 30. I'm worried about the back end of Auburn's defense if I'm an Auburn guy, which I'm not. Uh, interesting to see what type of step Bo Nix takes as a passer this year and what kind of weapons he's going to have. I think he's got the weapons. I don't. He's got, they're thin at running back. They're not going to have as much success running the ball. They've lost some guys to uh, some weird situations, actually. Booby Whitlow, the second leading uh, back last year, but uh, they're going to they're going to struggle to run the ball. But if but if he can be a for real passer, they're going to have a decent season and. If they the back end of that defense, uh, the front end guys that they lost, they can replace them. But if that back end can be adequate, then maybe they'll be a little bit better than I think. Yeah. Next, uh, following the Auburn game, we we get to go between the hedges, which is always a fun experience. Right. This is. If, I don't know why this game and the Vanderbilt game wasn't flipped. The last time Vanderbilt played us, it was in Davis Wade. The last time we played Georgia, which everybody remembers, 2017. We were between the hedges. I don't know why they didn't flip this when they added these two games. I think that's kind of dumb. That's my biggest issue with the schedule. Uh, I don't think we beat Georgia at our, at our place anyway, but I definitely don't think we beat them between the hedges. I've got us losing this game pretty handily. I'm gonna. I, I'm not sure about that offense, but I am sure about Georgia's defense. I think they hold us to our lowest scoring output of the year. They're going to beat us 45 to 21. Okay. So I'm with Colton on this one. I would like. Like last year's Auburn game, I was really optimistic when we went to the edges last time. But this one, I can't see us winning it, even if we were at home. So I think we lose this one. Not quite as bad as he does. I think that our defense holds him a little bit more with them losing from. But I do think that we lose, uh, I'm going to say, 35 to 17. 35 to That's going to be a snoozer compared to these other games yeah. we're calling. 17 points is going to be really fun to watch our next game is the Egg Bowl, and guys, this is a team I, I've told you what the struggles I'm recruiting already. This is not a team I'm very high on. I uh, heard an Ole Miss guy get on um, Thunder and Lightning podcast this week because they like to talk to uh, media people from other schools, which I think is a good idea. And even that guy's like, look, I mean, we've, we've got one or two dudes on defensive line, but they have no idea what's going to come after that. Um, if they, 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 he literally said you could double team our best player and and be totally fine because nobody else is is uh, nobody else is going to be able to give him help. Somebody's have to take a big step. We don't know who's pat, catching passes after Elijah Moore. It's going to have to be uh, a, a young guy. Going to have to be a true sophomore or something like that. We don't know um, who's going to be running the ball after Darion Ely, even though he is a very serviceable running back. Um, you don't know what they're going to do with John Rice Plumley. We know that he's not starting, but he, he also really doesn't want to play any other position. We'll see what happens there. Um, the back end of that defense is not nothing to really be concerned about if you're not an Ole Miss fan. If you are an Ole Miss fan, that's something to be concerned about. 
I've got us winning one of our closer games because it is in Oxford, but this game is always crazy and hard to predict. Don't hold me to this one too bad. But we're going to win this game 42 to 35. Okay. I don't think y'all are ready for this. We go to Oxford and uh, we take them down 55 to 20, if that sounds familiar. <laughs> There's no, 55 is almost impossible to get to. There's no way. Well, we did it once. Well, well because of a mixed extra point. Oh man! Two field goals. Two field. Two field uh, you're right. Two field goals. All right. Uh, and then yeah, you would expect the season to end at that point, but this isn't a regular year. So after the Egg Bowl, we get to come back to Davis Wade and play Mizzou to end the season. Right. So Missouri don't really know what they're gonna do up there with Eli Drinkwitz as head coach, and I think he's gonna get them to the right spot soon. Uh, and by by soon, I don't mean too soon. It's not gonna be this year. Missouri at home, this is a game that I don't see any way that we lose unless Missouri is just super surprising or unless we're way worse than I think. Um, this, the Auburn game and the Arkansas game, are the three games I'm the most confident about. This one's hard to score. I, don't, I didn't watch Mizzou hardly at all last year. Yeah, I don't man. really know what they've got. I mean, they, don't, they lost what they did have. Don't, I don't know what's – I really shot in the dark here on my score prediction, although I do think it's going to be a win. I'm just going to say – let me just try to pick a number I haven't already picked. Uh, 48. Okay. Love the high scoring games. I'm gonna go a little bit lower. We're gonna have a slow game after the after the after the leech thing. I'm gonna say 39 to 20. Okay. There we go. Um, guys, these are put together on the spot. We wanted to wanted to get a kind of our natural feel for what's going on instead of because we can talk ourselves into either winning it, winning, winning every game except two. Yeah. So if we go by our gut reaction a little bit, we get to we get to be a little bit more honest, I think. I, I agree. Because I can sit here and talk myself into upsetting Bama. Okay, guys, don't, don't don't give me that opportunity. So for this game, I'm going a weird score again, 41-21. I think we're coming out with the W. Oh, that's almost the exact same as me, you coward. All right. And that's all we've got for the score predictions. Now we're going to move on to fan questions. All right, guys, so we're going to go ahead and get into fan questions. Uh, Colton had to leave. He had to go somewhere, so we've got my buddy Payne Sleeper filling in. He's a, he's a student at MSU also. He's knowledgeable about sports. I think you all are going to enjoy listening to what he has to say. Before we get into the fan questions, though, I want to go ahead. Uh, while I was waiting on Payne to get here after Colton left, we talked a little bit about special teams. Uh, I went through and watched the Mike Leach presser that we were talking about earlier in the show. And when he was talking about special teams, we didn't hit on this earlier. So uh, when Mike was talking about special teams, he was talking about how he does things a little bit different than everybody else in the country in terms of he puts the best guys on special teams. He's not worried about injuries. He feels like you've got to have the best guys on the field at all times. And if there are weak spots on special teams, that's, that's something that can lose the game for you. So he elaborated heavily on that during the presser that he wants to make sure he's got the best athletes on the field. He's not worried about injuries. And something else I want to talk about uh, is Scott Lashley. Towards the end of the presser, news came out that he will be missing the remainder of the season. He got banged up in practice, and uh, they decided that he needs surgery to fix whatever happened. I'm not sure what happened. They haven't they haven't said that yet, but they did say that Lashley's going to go ahead and have the surgery, and he's going to miss the remainder of the year. But the good news is that he already said he's coming back for the 2021 season. So Lashley's going to be back. I expect him to start next year if we do end up losing any guys to the draft on the O-line. Uh, and now we'll go ahead and get into fan questions. So Gunter.B.B asked, 
do you think Leach will run it more than he has in the past considering that we have Kylan? And I do think he's going to run it more than in the past. If you look at Leach's offenses in the past at Texas Tech, even Kentucky, uh, and obviously Washington State, they run about 25% of the time. And I think Kylan's just too talented to only be able to run 25% of the time. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we bump it up to 35%, but I also don't think that Leach is going to completely abandon the scheme because we have Kylan now. I think that it's good for him to have Kylan at his uh, – just kind of at his side, be able to use him whenever he wants. I don't think we're going to run dramatically different than what we normally would in Leach's scheme, but I do think that it'll be a good bit. I do think also there's this this big misconception that just because Mike Leach runs an air raid offense that we're going to run it substantially – we're obviously going to run much less, but there's still going to be a lot of designed runs and the designed handoffs to Kylan Hill because you can't just ignore a player's talent like that. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're, he's going to get a lot of touches, but also you're going to see him a lot more in the passing game, um, which is where he, he truly thrives because we, we've seen him. Um, he, he ran at, at Columbus High School. or Yeah, Columbus High School, he, uh, he ran a pass-heavy offense. And we've seen what he can do in the few times we saw it under Moorhead's offense. So he'll be effective in the open field in the passing game as well. Yeah, and like we said last week, I expect Collins draft stock to go up a ton just because him coming back this year is essentially him proving to everybody the few knocks that he did have when he went into the draft last year or when he was testing the waters for the draft. They were talking about how he can't pass pro and he can't receive the ball. And I think that in this scheme, he has to do both of those things. So in order for him to be successful, his draft stock has to go up. Uh, moving on, Stephen Ball was asking, will the air raid be effective against defenses like LSU or Alabama, or does it require more elite receivers? And before we get into that, I just want to talk about the word elite because I feel like it's thrown around a lot. Elite receivers, if you look back at Mike Leach's history, he's never had an elite receiver to make the air raid work. So, I mean, you could, I guess you could say back at uh, Texas Tech, he had Michael Crabtree. That's the closest yeah. thing to elite that he's ever had. But... You don't. I don't think you necessarily have to have elite receivers for it to work. We have we have, in terms of partially elite, like uh, guys like Tyrell Shavers. He he's physically elite. Javante Payton, Tula Griffin, those are physically elite guys. But I don't I don't necessarily think we have an elite receiver. But I don't think you need elite receivers because we have so much talent. We have you know guys like Austin Williams who can give you elite hands, and then we have Tyrell Shavers, like I mentioned, who can give you elite size and elite speed. Tula Griffin can give you elite speed. Uh, Malik Heath gives you elite ball skills. So I think that you don't necessarily have to have an elite offense for it to be effective against the LSUs and the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Auburns of the SEC. I also think uh, Leach has made a name for himself recruiting non-elite talent and making them produce because he's done it everywhere he's been. I mean, look at Texas Tech and Washington State; those aren't those aren't generally the the hearths of national recruiting. And he he takes these players who otherwise wouldn't have really have made a name for themselves, and he makes them effective. Yeah. in an offense. Yeah, Leach is a great developer. Uh, Coach Spurrier Jr. obviously is a great developer, and we kind of hit on that last week when we talked about how the receivers were saying they've they've done drills that they've never done before. They've been taught things they've never been taught before, which is kind of crazy. Uh, so one thing that we did want to point out, Colton added this to the notes before he left. Joel Coleman said uh, he pulled out an interesting stat. It says, Leach offenses have gone three and out on just 14.5% of their possessions over the last 16 years. That's tops for all the coaches with four-plus years of experience, not many quick possessions with the air raid. So that, that kind of shows you that the air raid, 
Air Raid is going to be effective because he's ran it at so many different places and he's had success at various different places with it. So I think there's not much reason to be concerned about that. Uh, moving on, Jamison191 asked us to elaborate a little bit more on what we expect from the D-line in the new scheme. So I think the D-line is probably the most flexible position group that we have right now. Uh, today, depth charts came out, like we said earlier, Kobe Jones and Marquis Spencer starting on the edges, and then Jaden Crumity starting up front. We've got Pickering backing him up. I think that that's going to be the part where we see the most even snap splits between the ones and the twos, just because Pickering is so young and athletic. And he's going to be a really good run stopper. I think that against good running teams, we'll have Pickering on the field most of the game. Uh, he's just a big a big guy that's going to clog the lanes. But then looking around, uh, I think that the D-line is going to be really interesting because a lot of the guys that you see listed as linebackers are going to be playing D-line. Jordan Davis is one of those guys where he'll be playing D-line. Tyrus Wheat's going to be on the D-line rushing on the edge. And like Colton said earlier in the show, you'll see more traditional looks from the D-line when you have Jordan Davis in because – He's mainly going to be handing the ground rush in the passer. Uh, you have anything to add on that, Payne? Uh, yeah, I've, I was kind of thinking about, like, just because we're running the three three five doesn't mean that you're not going to see any four-man fronts because uh, we, we have a lot of talent in that respect. Like Jordan Davis, you, we, we've seen the fact that he could play end and he can play Sam linebacker. I mean, he, he's very one of the most versatile players on the defense. And uh, we've seen a lot of compliments about his speed, but also he can he can get down and get dirty with the guys in the trenches. So it it, it makes sense for him to to move up into a four man front. But I think that that starting three on the uh, on the D line is very solid. It's just depth has always been the uh, the concern there with with Jack Harris and Aaron Odom backing up the the ends. Yeah, and um, those are young guys too. So that it's only going to get better. But that is a little concerning, kind of like what we've talked about with the with the DBs. Uh, so moving on though, Colton McLeod, the last question of the day, he asked for a baseball update and we haven't given that in a while. So we figured we'd go ahead and do it. Uh, first I wanted to talk about, so if y'all didn't know the baseball team, they scrimmaged this past weekend. There was a lot of good stuff coming from it. All I've seen really, if, I mean, you can follow, I'm sure somebody on Twitter out there who was at the game, gave a play by play and that sort of thing. But, uh, what stuck out to me, for first and foremost, when I was looking over the box score and stuff, is the second baseman that we played. We played Scotty DeBrule, who is a uh, JUCO transfer, and then we played Davis Mishi and Peyton Puck. I probably butchered some of those names. Uh, Davis and Peyton, they're two true freshmen. And that's just interesting to me because that's the one position that we have on the baseball team where we don't have any returners that are going to be on the field. Uh, so that was, that was interesting to me. I looked over the box score, Peyton Puck – Peyton Puckett, it looked like he played the best out of the three. He had two RBIs. He was one for three. Uh, I think he drew a walk, too. So we don't really know much about the fielding. I'm sure we'll have a better idea closer to the season. But right now they're just working out, trying to get the freshmen some experience. Uh, one of the other guys that stood out, obviously, Cameron James. He was one for three, uh, which is, you know, obviously he's batting 300 that game. But what was impressive to me when I was looking is that his first at-bat, he drew eight pitches, uh, and then he ended up getting a single. Second A-B, he flew out to deep center. And then his third A-B was ten pitches, and the right fielder ended up making a three-base error. So Cameron ended up standing on third by the time that play was over. Uh, that was just impressive to me because Cam, he's obviously maturing. Uh, he's seeing the ball better. He's he's making these pitchers work for it. They're, I mean, two at-bats, 18 pitches. That's, that's incredible. Uh, Logan Tanner. Luke Hancock, they had uh, homers during the game, so that's good news. Uh, Blaze Berry, a true freshman pitcher, 
He So the way that this scrimmage works, seven and a half innings, they got most of the pitchers to come out and just throw half of an inning. Uh, they threw their inning and got out, just kind of letting them work through scenarios. Blaze Berry, true freshman, he came out, he threw 10 pitches. Uh, eight of them were strikes. He got three outs. Cameron Tular is another Juco left-handed pitchers. Uh, he went one, two, three in the first inning. Him pitching the first inning of the year is obviously something that uh, something that shows that the coaches respect him, how highly they think of him. Like I said, he's a JUCO pitcher. He, he has low velocity. I think he topped out at 89 during the scrimmage, but uh, he's got good movement. And other than that, I haven't really heard anything. Payne, did you see anything you wanted to talk about with the baseball? Uh, I did see some some little bit of hitting, uh, mainly headlining Brandon Pimentel. We we wanted to see a lot out of him last year, and besides that Oregon State home run, we didn't really see much that we liked. I mean, we. We heard a lot about him in the preseason about how he he was going to be the hot bat, and then it, he he never really took off once we got into the year. Yeah, but um, he had that walk off. That was about it. Yeah, he's he's done well in the first the first couple scrimmages from what from what I've been seeing around. That's good. Um, and Scotty DeBrule as well looks to be coming in and filling in that second base spot left by by Justin Foscue. Yeah. So, um, I'm sure most of you know that Cameron James expected to move over to shortstop. Yeah, he plays take, short. Take I, Jordan Westbrook's spot. And uh, I'd assume that Landon Jordan – Landon Jordan and uh, we got another freshman working over at third base. I just lost his name. Oh, gosh. Goodness. Uh, God, he's a big power bat. He was projected to get drafted. But we've got, we've got uh, Landon Jordan and another guy working over at third. I'm sure that will be a battle. And I do expect whoever loses that battle over there, they'll probably be DHing for the majority of the year. Uh, other than that, though, that's all the updates we have for you all. Like I said, like we said earlier in the episode, we've got a LSU episode coming Friday for y'all. We're going to try to have a special guest on there also. Kellum Clark was yeah, the third Kellum Clark did not get yep. drafted. Or he, he, he elected to come to, to college. Yeah. Expect him to contribute this yeah. year as well. He'll he'll definitely be dh if he doesn't take over at third. Uh, but like I said, we've got a LSU episode coming out Friday. We're going to have to try – we're going to try to get a guy – who's uh, over an LSU page. We're going to try to get him on the show and have him talk about things from their perspective, kind of what he expects. And other than that, uh, we'll see you all on Instagram. Go ahead. Uh, we'll do fan questions again. Send those into my page, Stark Vegas Report, or Colton's page, Dogs Before the Mast. Both of those are one word. And uh, other than that, swing your sword and hail state.